Hi, my name is Kasia and this is Academic Reading and Writing Made Easy. So we've got my uh, guest and I can see... Okay, hello, hello, Oksana. Hello. <laughs> nice to Good. see you, Kasia. Nice to see you. And I can see that... Um, Others are joining us now. That's so nice to see. <laughs> Good. Oksana, I want to say a huge thank you. I know that you are a busy person and I know how busy you are and how many things you've got to do. And it's a Friday evening. So I'm really, really grateful. <laughs> My pleasure, Kasia. I'm happy to be here. Oh, so happy, Oksana. So, so let's start. But you know, I was thinking before others join us and so on, uh, I thought, why not Yeah, start with introducing ourselves? As simple as that. Mm, so perhaps because there's a lot of new people who've joined my profile, so I think they don't know that much about myself. So just to, yeah, just to give a bit of background. So uh, I come from Poland and I live in Oxford. And I've been living in Oxford for now seven years, where I've been teaching academic reading and writing. So for many years, I was, uh, yeah, I was a teacher in a language school where I used to work on the university preparation course. I used to teach a lot of academic writing. I used to prepare students for IELTS exam. I used to do a lot of business and marketing. Then I've worked at University of Surrey, again, doing academic writing. Uh, now I'm supporting Northumbria University, Ulster University, London Metropolitan. And most currently, I joined London Middlesex, where I teach professional communication. And that's really exciting. Professional communication is really exciting. So that's about me. But now about you, Oksana, if you could yeah, tell us more about... Yourself. myself. Thank you, Katia. So my name is Oksana, uh, Oksana Garanina, Dr. Oksana Garanina, if to be exact. Um, and I'm a senior lecturer in the business school at the University of Buckingham. It's one of the oldest universities and it's a private university. And I have a PhD in organizational psychology and I have over 20 years of teaching at universities in different countries. So I worked in Russia, I worked in Sweden, and now I'm working in the UK here in the British University. At the moment I'm doing my second PhD as well. It's in business management, mostly sustainable business and uh, how businesses interact with communities to become more sustainable and socially responsible. So this wow. about me. <laughs> Oksana, and, that's so much. <laughs> I'm an academic tutor as well. So this, I, I'm the person who interviews students, those students who apply to a university to do business. So if, um, if there's someone who interviews students at university for business courses, it's me. Oh, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, good. I thought that I had just a problem with the internet connection. But I'm so impressed, Oksana. And I think that anyone who is listening to this interview will find that extremely valuable, simply. And then, you know, just one more question, Oksana. Because we both arrived from different countries and we live in Oxford. And I was thinking, what do you like about Oxford most? Um, as... 
as a person, as part of the academic community, first of all, I like that it's an academic city in the first place. And second, that it's so international. You can meet people from all around the world, either students or academics or researchers. Those people who live in, uh, in Oxford, they're, they're so international and they have their own experience. They have their own background and it's actually a melting pot. In this sense, it's a very multinational city and I like it. Yes, Oksana, and you know, I need to say that, yeah, I feel the same, especially when I first arrived from a completely different country with no friends, no family. It's such a great place to meet new people because everyone is coming from somewhere and everyone needs to be making those connections. And because everyone is new, everyone is looking for somebody to connect. And I think, yeah, as you've said, such an international place to be in. Okay, so now, Oksana, I think now we can dive deep into the topic of our conversation, okay. which is, let me use my notebook, skills required to succeed at university. And Oksana, you work at two universities. And my first question is, uh, have you noticed the proportion of home students and international students on undergraduate and postgraduate courses. Can you see any changes? And yeah, just... Um, so if we compare two programs, two levels, the undergraduate level and the postgraduate level, when we talk about the undergraduate level, we talk about those students who get their first degree or a bachelor degree, the undergraduate degree, the proportion between home and international students is towards home students. So it's on average, it's about 87 to 92, 95, it depends on the university. Those students are home students, so they're British students. But when we look at the postgraduate level, at the level where students do their masters and especially PhD studies, you can see a different picture. Um, more students from international backgrounds at the master's level and especially the PhD level and less home students. So the proportion is different and it depends, um, it depends on the level, either undergraduate or postgraduate level. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, for many years, as I said, I used to teach on the foundation program. So I saw a lot of international students, a lot of them coming from China, from Saudi Arabia, from Argentina, from Nigeria, for example. So I saw a lot of international students on the foundation year. But then when I started to teach at the University of Surrey, it was in fact mostly master's students. Like, yeah a great majority of them just masters and then you know i was thinking of because the topic is about skills so what do you think in general what skills we need to succeed at university um again it depends it depends on the level because you know at the undergraduate level the skills that um uh, the skills that relate to the academic skills are very important because students come to the UK from different countries, from different educational systems, and they used to a different style of teaching, of learning, of studying, of everything. And when they come here, one of the issues they have is they don't know how to prepare their assignments. 
And you know, the majority of the assignments are written assignments here in the UK, in the UK universities. So it's very important to understand how to write these papers, how to write assignments, because um, for some modules, uh, the only assignment is a written assignment, and it's 100% of the overall mark of the module. So if you fail to write an assignment, then you fail a module. That's why it's so important to understand the structure yes. of the assignment and who, how to write it. And Oksana, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the passing mark for undergraduate students is 40%, but correct. for master's students, it's 50, it's 50. isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's correct. So for undergraduate students, the minimum mark that the student ha uh, that the student has to get in order to proceed to the next stage is forty percent. And just a reminder that uh, it's from zero to hundred percent. Hundred percent is the highest mark, but I don't think that many students get this mark. I would say probably never. Yeah, <laughs> and so do you know what I tell my students is that listen. If you get 60, 60 is so much. Like if you see 60% on your paper, you should be more than happy about yeah, 60%. Absolutely. absolutely. And at the postgraduate level, the passing mark is 50%. So it's higher than at the undergraduate level. And to make it easier, um, you can think about equivalence. For example, from 40 to 50, it's C, um, it's... Uh, it's, it's different. So from 40 to 50, it's D. From 50 to 60, it's C. From 60 to 70, it's B and so on. So for some people, it's much easier to understand in letters. A, yeah. B, C and uh -huh. so on. And you know, the other thing I wanted to highlight is that, so for example, when I teach students from China, they are expected to high marks because what they tell me is that in China, the competition is so huge. So they need to be scoring in 90s. And I tell them, listen, you need to be realistic. It's not possible. Here in the UK, you are not going to be given 90s because mm -hmm. the rubric says it's an excellent paper. And... Yeah, it's simply difficult to produce an excellent research paper. So I say, be realistic. If you get 50 as your first grade, you've done a great job because it is yeah. that difficult. That's true. That's true. And students need to remember that um, the majority of the students who graduate from UK university, they have the to one degree, which means that they have Bs mostly. So it's a really good result if you have Bs for the majority of your assignments. So this is probably can be the aim. Not 80s, not 90s, not 70s, but just 60-something. Yes. So, Oksana, let's perhaps think of what uh, our students should focus on. Because obviously we want them to be uh, scoring those high marks. I myself, I've got distinctions from a couple of uh, yeah, papers that I've done in the UK. So it's definitely possible it to is. get high marks. But there is a certain set of skills that is simply needed to be able to do it. So let's look at those, uh, the most important things. Like today, right? I was marking my students' essays, final assignments. And I've only given something in 40s. I guess one or two was in 50s. And like, 
what I see as the major problem is the ability to be analyzing sources and then putting that together into an assignment, if it's an essay or a report. So yeah, the question is how to analyze sources when you see uh, feedback, when you see comments saying your analysis is not sufficient, it's limited. In fact, what do lecturers mean when they say it's not sufficient? Um, it's a very good question because you know it, um, it's very important to understand what critical analysis means because when you look at the assignment usually what you can see to either evaluate something or to critically analyze something it's not about describe something when we read students paper what we usually see we usually see a description a simple description of what different scholars said in their articles and that's it it's not enough because it's very description and we don't ask students to describe but we ask students to analyze the analysis means that you can compare different schools opinions on the same issue or about the same issue and their views on the same issue you can compare them you can contrast them you can find a common ground for different points of views and then you can, uh, from that point, you can develop your own understanding. What concepts and theories say about this particular situation and how people look at that situation from different perspectives and why they look from different angles. When you build your analysis in this way, we call it a critical analysis approach because you, uh, you can show your reader, you can show your lecturer that you understand the core concepts and how scholars approach them in their papers. Yes, and then, you know, when I think about uh, analysing critically sources, I think of sources themselves. Because one of the questions I get, like one of the most common questions is like, okay, so how many sources do I need? And for some reason, students feel so attached to the numbers, the number of sources. And I say to them, um, sometimes like, sometimes I just try to tease them, but I say to them, them, look, there is a rule of thumb and we tend to say that you need one source per 100 words, more or less. In other words, for one paragraph, you need at least three. Like you cannot uh, deliver an analysis with one source. Yeah. One is just a description. Um, so yeah, I would say this uh, ability of finding sources. And then, you know, that's a good question because my students simply, they don't know where to look for those sources. And they say to me, oh, the internet. But I'm like, really? Everywhere on the internet. So obviously it's not everywhere. So Oksana, what are the most credible sources? Where they should be looking for those credible sources? Um, definitely not Wikipedia or Investopedia if we talk about business degrees, because they are not credible sources. They are not created by scholars, but they do. they're created by common people. And um, it's not always true what they say. I mean, Wikipedia articles and Investopedia articles. Uh, what students have to look at in the first place are academic articles, articles in academic journals. And that's why the first point where, uh, where the students have to look at them is university library. Because 
when you studied uh, at the university in the UK, you always have access to the university library. And a lot of sources can be found online. So this is a starting point. You go to the university library, you start your search, you look at the articles by just typing the keywords for your assignment. And then you read the article and then you look at the list of references at the end of the article to understand what else and where else you can find about this topic. And this is how you actually work. And, you know, when we think about it, when we speak about it, like looking for sources, what I realized and I, I've been saying that to my students is that, look, you have joined a British university. Uh, perhaps not really uh, consciously, but you have become a researcher. Mm -hmm. When I think of my experience of being a student in Poland, I remember myself sitting uh, at a desk, listening to lecturers, then memorizing a lot of things and going to the exam room and just doing an exam. But now when I think of British universities, I'm like, oh, that's so different. Because I think even if you are an undergraduate student, you are already a researcher. You don't have to be a PhD student. It's just as an undergraduate student, you are carrying out your research. Isn't yeah. it true? How do you feel about it? I can't agree more because this is what the reality of being a student at a British university because from the very first year, from the very beginning, you have to be a researcher. All the assignments are based on your own research. It's not always collection of the primary data. So the data when you ask people to complete questionnaires or surveys or to have an interview with you, but it's still about your research based on the secondary data. So something that you can read in journal articles, academic articles, on, on the news, on the government websites, all these kind of things. And it's all about research. You do your research. You look what different people say about the same thing. You compare and contrast their opinions. And you develop your own opinion, your own view, based on what they said and what you thought about their opinions. And at the same time, because, you know, it's academia, it's not just about expressing your own opinion. You have to implement some theories and concepts that your lecturer gave you during the module. So this is how you do your research. You look at what other people said, and by um, applying different concepts and theories from your module, you combine everything together and develop your own opinion. So, you know, when we talk about this research uh, at university, uh, the other skill came to my mind. Because when you start uh, your degree at British University, uh, they tell you specifically how many hours you will be spending in the classroom. And then there is this rubric which says, and this is the amount of hours you need to devote for self-study. And I think that one of the problems, one of those traps international students fall in is that they, they have this uh, impression that they don't have to spend too much time at university. They see their timetable and they say, oh, only five lectures in a week. I've got mm -hmm. so much time. I can be socializing, doing this or that. And in fact, they've got this time to do their research. And I think this is what is not emphasized enough, that this time is not only for socializing, doing extracurricular activities, 
but it's for conducting research. What would you say? Yeah, I completely agree because um, it's not about spending some time in the classroom at the university, listening to a lecture or doing some project with your peers. It's about studying beyond that because um, you have to do your assignments and usually Per semester, students have between two and four modules, and every single module has assignments between two and three usually. But sometimes it can be one big assignment for a module or three small assignments for a different module. So just imagine you have a semester and you have four modules to study at the same time, which means that you might end up having eight, uh, eight assignments or probably even more. And... It's not a good idea to wait until the last week of the semester to prepare your assignment and submit it because your lecture expects you to do your research properly. And if you didn't do that, it would be really hard, very challenging to complete your assignment at a good level of the university academic standards and to submit it on time. That's why all the students are expected to start doing their assignments from the very beginning because all the lectures are connected in some way to your assignments. So if you go to the lecture, if you listen to the lecture, and then you do something during the seminar, you can go back home and to add something that you learned during the lecture and your seminar to your assignments. So this is how you can work. Yeah, and do you know what I was thinking of? Was also that... Um, wait a second, I think I've lost this thought. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about self-organization skills at university. So it's also definitely about time management. And I think this is what comes out, like one of those weaknesses, uh, how to manage your time simply. Uh, going to university, going to lectures, seminars, doing your research, spending time in libraries, either if it's uh, on site or at home. And then obviously, I think one of the things you want to experience as a student is uh, students' life as mm -hmm. well. So it's all about, I think, managing time as well when you study, when you do your research, and obviously when you socialize with people, because I think this is why we study as well, right? For social reasons. Yeah, that's correct. So it seems to me that time management is something that students need as well. Time management is very important. And because we can see the students as mature people, uh, you're not kids anymore, you're adults who know how to manage, how to organize everything. And this is actually a very good life lesson because if you can organize your time properly when studying at university, it won't be difficult for you to get a proper job and then to organize your time being an employee and then to be promoted. Because if you're successful at your initial stage, at your initial position, you can be promoted further. But if only you have good time management skills. And this is what, again, you can practice while being at university, university student. Yeah, so now when I talk to you, I feel like, oh, there's so many skills <laughs> that are required, like those self-organizational skills, teamwork as well, time management, but also all of those skills related to writing assignments, conducting research. And, you know, 
when I think about it, so I found some uh, data, some research. Mm -hmm. So those who are listening to us for the first time and perhaps those who are thinking of becoming a student, they must know what UCAS is. So UCAS is the system which deals with all applications. So it's so different because, for example, when you are in Poland and you want to study at university, you send a letter to university. Mm -hmm. And that's how you apply, kind of yourself. But in the UK, there is this system which is called UCAS, and you apply through this system. You can choose four or five choices, and then they deal with your applications. So UCAS has uh, recently published some data. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was like last week. And what they say, it says, let me just quote it. It says, half of students do not feel completely ready to start the course ahead of the current academic year. So that's a lot, half of the students. So what do you think, Oksana, when you think of your students and of their problems, their struggles, what can they do before they come to the UK? What can they do to help themselves in a way so that mm -hmm. when they arrive, they start their degree, if it's undergraduate, postgraduate, master's or PhD, obviously they want to learn as much. Uh, from the degree. And I think they also want to experience some social life. So what can they do before they come to the UK? So that when they arrive, first day, there's this culture shock, they go over this, and they can immerse into what they want to be doing. So how can they help themselves? Or how can we help them? Um, first of all, uh, to familiarize themselves with the requirements of the program. And all the British universities, they have handbooks or so-called handbooks on their websites. So if you're applying for a course for a program, you can find a handbook, look at this and understand what kind of modules and assignments you expect you to do during your studies at this university. And the second thing, to practice some academic skills that will be required when you're a student at the British University. Writing skills in the first place, because as we mentioned, the most or all the assignments, probably not all the assignments, because there are some presentations, there are some, um, mm -hmm. some interactions between students' role plays and everything else, assessment centers, but a lot of assignments are written assignments, so they are based on writing, doing research and writing. And this is what students can practice before coming to the UK and starting their course. They can develop their writing skills. They can develop an understanding what plagiarism means and how to avoid it. Because plagiarism is a very big concern. And if you uh, plagiarize a couple of times, you can be excluded from the university. So it's a yeah. very big issue. It's almost a crime. Yeah, it is. And I remember, you know, when I first started on the foundation program, we had a contract with our students and each of those students had to sign a contract. They are fully aware that plagiarism in the UK is a criminal offense. And I remember it was so weird to me, like what? It was really serious. And then when I uh, worked at the University of Surrey, I remember this case. She wasn't my student, hopefully, but there was this student who was, in fact, 
they found that she had plagiarized some assi assignments and that was a really huge issue. Honestly, I can't remember what happened to her. She was my student, but I remember a lot of discussion going on about this student. So definitely it is a problem here in the UK with the, with the plagiarism. And let's just say that there is software, right? There's the mm -hmm. software which checks each assignment. So we get uh, specific similarity scores and we see, yeah, and it highlights specific parts of the text which are similar or just exactly the same as mm -hmm. uh, the original text. So Oksana, how can we avoid plagiarism what are the ways there are a couple right so yes. what are they there are a few ways uh, first of all your work should be your work and um, this means that you shouldn't describe as we said but you should analyze you should compare and you should contrast different opinions and based on that you have to develop your own opinion and you need to say everything in your own words even if you like some quotes from from the source of information that you use for your assignment, you don't have to put them as they are. It's called direct quotations and you still can use it, but just in the places where you believe you can't say better. In all other cases, you have to paraphrase it, which means that if you like some idea, you have to express this idea in your own words and then to use in-text referencing in the brackets, you have to indicate the author and the year of publishing of this work and then to list this work in the list of references. So this is how it's done to avoid plagiarism. Yes, and I need to say that I've seen students struggle with paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons is that they lack uh, vocabulary and grammar, simply. Because if you want, to, you might understand that, let's say you might kind of translate the original text into your own language, but then you still need to put that into your own words. And this is when students struggle. And I see that a lot, that uh, paraphrasing is one of those most difficult skills. And many times, in fact, it boils down to uh, vocabulary and grammar. Yeah, paraphrasing yeah. is a very difficult skill. I agree, but it's a very important one. And the good news that paraphrasing can be practiced. Again, if you practice it, if you do some exercises, if you understand how it works, it would be much easier to paraphrase than when you're a student. Yes, and in fact, there are techniques to do it. So one of my favorites, I'm not sure if I've developed that myself, <laughs> but sometimes I quite to uh, kind of take the credit for it. But yes, and I have this uh, free PDF guide on my website, how to do it. So what I tell my students, you've got this original text uh, and you read that. You read that as many times as you need so that you understand what it is about. Mm -hmm. And then we identify keywords but they are subject specific words these are the words we're not going to change like you cannot be thinking that you can change all the words no there are specific words like terminology which we're not going to do anything about but then all the other words is what we are looking synonyms for and when we've got subject specific words and the synonyms we close the books and then they just paraphrase it yeah from what they remember 
And many times I feel it works really well, this approach, like because they are constantly thinking what the text was about and yeah. they have the notes and notes are important because now when I think about notes, Oksana, note taking, that's the other skill, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's completely correct because during the lecture, um, usually the lectures are not recorded. So you are not going to have recording after the lecture and the, it's your responsibility to make notes. And if you don't have the skill, you have to develop it because when you are in the lecture and you don't know what to put down on your, uh, on your notebook, what to write down, you can write down something not very important and skip the very important part of the lecture. So that's why note-taking is such an important skill for any student. And I would say, Oksana, because I started my PhD last year and I need to say that this is one of the, I, I need to say that's one of the problems that I have with my PhD, mm. note-taking, because honestly, when I was a student in Poland and I did three degrees in Poland, but I was never taught how to take notes. Mm -hmm. And here in the UK, I realized it's a crucial understanding. Like if you want to do your research, you need to be able to take notes. Because how are you going to put all of this information together? How can you arrive at an original conclusion if you don't have your notes? And then I realized such a simple thing, but yeah, it's simply never taught. I can't remember, honestly, that we were ever taught how to take notes. And this is an issue because all the students have to take notes, not during the lecture, not only during the seminars or their tutorials, but when they do their own research, because there are so many articles to read and it's insane to remember all the articles. What you need to do is just to pick up the key thing, the key ideas from every single article and to make a note. But it's not just about writing down something very interesting. It's yeah. about organizing these notes and it's about combining those notes so that you can see a meaning of what you're doing. And I would say, you know, with note taking what comes to my mind, I keep repeating that to my students. You need to be selective. You might think everything is interesting, but not necessarily. You, you really need to focus on the most important things. So I would say uh, learning how to become selective, selective, choosing what really matters, not anything, but just those little things which will make your research stand out and help you come to this original conclusion. Yeah, completely, completely agree. I, you know, I think now, like, there's so many skills you need as a student at uh, British University. Like, if you want to really take most of it, because let's uh, be honest, uh, coming to the UK to study at the British University, it is an investment. Here we pay a lot of money for higher education. So definitely you don't want to waste this money. Because, yeah, we know how it works, right? So I would say that you need to, you want to be ready for this degree so that you don't waste it. You don't waste your time, you don't waste your money, and you can just take the most out of your experience, isn't it? 
It is. And for international students, um, mm. the student fees are even bigger than for home students. As we know, for home students, it's over £9,000 a year. For international students, depending on the degree, depending on the program, and it can be up to £25,000 a year. It's a massive amount of money, and that's why I believe that all the students should be well prepared when they come to the UK, not to waste their money, not to waste their time, and to enjoy the student life because it's really worth it. Yeah, because I think, you know, when my experience of British universities, because when I used to do um, summer courses at universities in the past, I would always see those huge student union buildings. And I was always thinking, oh, this student's life looks so interesting. I was like, there must be something to it, to studying in the UK. So I do believe there is a lot of things students can engage with simply. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's more to just doing research, which we like. And I think this is what makes Oxford special. Would you not agree, Oksana? The amount of research which is carried out in Oxford. Yeah. And Oxford is, um, you know, because it's a um, rivalry city with Cambridge, and sometimes Cambridge is ahead of Oxford, other times Oxford is ahead of Cambridge. But still, Oxford is one of the top places where research is done and is being done all the time in different areas, in different fields. Yeah. And this is what's exciting about this city as well. Yeah, I think so. I like, I like this fact really very much, honestly. So I've got a lot of notes, but let me just skim through them. Just check if there is one more question. I might just... Yeah, I think that's the question, perhaps, the, the final question I want to ask. So uh, I think that, you know, what students might struggle with is expectations. Mm. That I think uh, they're not really aware of expectations, like university, what they want from them. I think sometimes students think that, yeah, they will come to the UK, they will travel across the country, from time to time go to a lecture and that's it. But I think that they need to be more aware of what's really expected from them. So how would you, yeah, what would you say are the top expectations from universities? Um, we expect our students to be diligent, to be hardworking and to understand why they are at university. Uh, if students have an understanding what they want to achieve apart from their degree, because the ultimate goal of every student is to get their degree at the end of their program, at the end of three years. Uh, but at the same time, as a student, you can develop so many skills and competences and at the same time to build your own network, which is very important for your future career and for your professional life. So if you're a student who is clever about what you're going to do at university, apart from getting your degree at the end of your program, you will be a successful student. So we expect our students to grow personally and professionally and to get not only their degree, but very valuable skills and competences. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of experience. But as well, I think it's an exciting journey, simply. And it is. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many international students come to the UK to get their diplomas. And uh, yes, for this reason, and because the quality of British education is very high, 
And mm -hmm. at the same time, it's not secret that British education, higher education is a brand. So if you have your degree from a British university, you will be welcomed in any big company, small company, media company, everywhere, mm -hmm. no matter in which country you're going to work. So true, so true, honestly. Yeah, I think this is the currency, honestly. This is the currency, the British uh, education. So just to recap what you said is that international students yeah they need a range of skills we mentioned hard skills like ability to do research find the right sources being able to read those sources select the key ideas and then ultimately put that into an essay or a report and i think i know what i wanted to say that what's the average length of an academic essay because i think students are not aware of that many times <laughs> Again, it depends. If you talk about, for example, at the moment, I'm doing a module uh, where it's just one assignment. So the module lasts the whole semester and it's just one assignment and the length of the assignment is 2,500 words, plus minus 10%, which we call 10% leeway, which means that you can write up to um, 2,750 words it's a maximum uh, limit, the word limit, or a bit less than 2,500 words. So this is the average length of the assignment. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, I remember when I used to work at this uh, foundation program, so they were just uh, undergraduate students. So the only exam they were familiarized was the IELTS exam. And those yeah, who know anything about IELTS, they know that the essay is only 250 words. And I remember the first assignment they had to do. And we said, so, okay, you've got 10 weeks and you need to write an essay, 1,000 words. And they were like, wow, 1,000 words? It's like, yeah, are you surprised? <laughs> and then I would say to them, it's only 1,000. When you go to university, it would be two. Uh, 2,500, 3,000 words, sometimes, not too often, but I've seen courses where, where they want 5,000 words. 5,000 is already a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. But again, it depends on the course and on the credit. Because yeah. at British universities, every module weighs different number of credits. The majority of the modules, they weight uh, from 10 to 15 credits. So it depends on the module. And if the module is big, which means it has a lot of credits, for example, 20 credits, it means that the assignment is going to be really big or you're going to have at least two assignments, uh, 2,500 words each. And when we are talking about word limits, uh, what about final dissertation? <laughs> I sometimes quite to, like to say that to my students. And do you know how many words you need to write for the final dissertation? So how many is it? Oksana? Again, it depends on the course and it's usually about 10,000 words. It can yeah. be up to 15,000 words, yes. so you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. It is. That's why uh, students cannot be thinking that they can write the final dissertation in a week or two. It's impossible, simply. And the same with those little assignments. When they accumulate, because the deadline pretty much is always the same for all assignments. 
So at once you need to submit three, five essays, each of them on average two or three thousand words. So definitely you need to be able to organize your time and yeah. have really strong writing skills and research skills as well. Yeah, that's true. And one more thing, because in many modules you can find um, a lecturer who say to you, if you want to get my feedback, you have to submit your draft by yes. that time. And if you don't work hard, you won't be able to produce anything by, by a particular deadline and you won't be able to submit anything at all. And then you will miss an opportunity to get a feedback on your draft from your lecturer. Yes, which will compromise your final mark. So that's why yes. it's very important to work consistently towards particular deadlines. Yeah, and then, you know, when I talk to my students, just one more final note is that the other skill that um, international students, unfortunately, they don't have it, and, but it's just because the system is different, is an ability to understand feedback and mm -hmm. work with feedback. Because this is how lecturers communicate the quality of your research. Yep. You don't have like one-on-one -on -one sessions with your lecturers. It doesn't happen. I mean, they do, but sometimes they are like group, little group sessions. But what you can get, you can get feedback on your assignment. But again, if you do not submit a draft, you will not get the mm -hmm. feedback. And that's the problem. And I think this is the other skill that students need to have. They need to be able to understand feedback. Completely agree. And um, so many times I had um, with my students when I gave them a feedback and then they did a different module with me. And again, they made the same mistakes. And when I mm -hmm. talked to them about their feedback, they actually um, told me they didn't know how to understand the feedback, not because they don't speak English, but because they don't know how to work on this feedback and how based on the feedback to improve their writing skills. So this is quite a big challenge. It is, it's definitely a big challenge. So Oksana, it's already quarter to eight in the UK. And I need to say, I do enjoy our uh, talk so much. So I cannot wait to see you face to face. <laughs> I hope very soon. I think we've got a couple of things planned in London, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Coming very soon. So I will see you definitely face to face. And I would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me here on my very first live on Instagram. <laughs> my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Oksana. Have a Good evening, and I'm going to speak to you very, very soon. Thank you very much, Kasim. And thank you to everyone who listened to us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Good night.